it's the divine assignment. It, it yeah. helps parents call themselves into a deeper space of love. It's easy. People may say, I ain't got kids yet, but it's easy to say, okay, man, my kid came out healthy. I got, they get 10 toes, they heart is all good, you know, like, and they go this path as what they see society to do. But it's a whole nother game when your child comes out and it's not what you expected. You're like, you have no choice but to say, if you, in all hopes that you're going to some type of spiritual place, whatever that looks like, and say, God, help me to love what I don't know. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Queerly Black Show. I'm your host, Ashley, and I'm so happy you came by. The Queerly Black Show aims to normalize the everyday existence of Black, LGBTQIA individuals through an interview-style series with regular folks like you and me. So every week, a new guest shares their story and unique perspective on their existence as an LGBTQIA individual. Thank you for tuning in, and make sure you subscribe, download, set your reminders to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of the Queerly Black Show. I'm your host, Ashley, joined today by a special, special guest. We got Coach K in the building, Queer on Purpose, spirituality coach. Coach K, tell the people about yourself. Oh, what's up, folks? What's up? Um, coach K here, um, uh, founder, creator of Queer on Purpose, um, queer spirituality coach. So I help people heal from religious trauma, um, create a new love story with God, themselves, and community. So just here to help the folks out. Yes, sir. We're going to get into all of that. But you know, before we get to that, we got to talk about your story. Mm. Um, when was the first encounter with your sexuality? When did you know, like, oh, something, some, some, something's going on here? What was Damn. that for you? Um, well, that, came, that, that happened sporadically, but I would say probably, and we joke about it in the community, like, oh, I knew when I was five. But really, I, I think I knew when I was five, like when I was playing, you know, Barbie dolls. I would have the two girls together strip the clothes <laughs> off, like y'all, y'all gonna do something, or like you know you be you be playing like um, you know like house, and I always wanted to be the daddy. I was like, I want to be the daddy. I want to be the daddy. So that was that was me. But like kind of officially of like, okay, this is something more than just playing house. You know, kid at that young age, you're just experimenting. You're finding your sexuality. Um, was around about fourteen when I was in high school. I was playing ball. And then I just started like, no, no, damn, these girls, look, you know, look good or just, just, I had an affinity and I would talk to my other teammates. And I'm like, hey, you ever, you ever thought about girls? And they're like, you too, me too. So it was just kind of a thing that we were like, we were holding inside. We didn't want to tell nobody, but we were just like, there was something there. So that's kind of like when I officially started to kind of really like, I want a girlfriend or, you know, talking late night on the phone, all that type of stuff. So that's when I, you know, pretty much knew. Yeah, 14. So high school, basically. Yeah, high school. When did you, when did you have your first girlfriend? 14. 14. Yeah. One of yeah. the girls you asked on the basketball yeah. team? Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. I didn't do, I, I, I ain't do the dating the teammates. Um, it was just one, one, and she was actually younger than me, but um, one of the girls that was kind of like on the volleyball team, I was like, oh, you cute. And, you know, you make the little eye contact and you it write the shorts. notes. It was the shorts. It was the shorts. <laughs> it was the way that she served. I was like, yes, that's what I need. Um, so yeah, we was like writing notes, you know how you write notes and you pass back and forth and it just organically been this thing like, okay, a gator went off. Like I see you, you see me type thing. But like yeah. I said, my first, my first, first official crush was like in fifth grade. Can't say the girl name now, but yeah, <laughs> fifth, that was the crush. But the 14 high school was the official, like, let me go get me a girlfriend. Yeah, man. So high school. So did you ever date guys? 
Yeah, yeah, I went through I went through that space, man. Is this after 14 or before 14? This was like after 14. So I was in ninth grade. And in, in part of I went to actually, let's kind of set the context. I went to a Christian high school. So like that was like a no, if you get that's that's against the rules. So because I knew that, I was like, okay, well, I don't want to get kicked out. I'm gonna have to get me a boyfriend or something like that. I was kind of attracted to guys, but not in the sense of like it was more of because other girls like their guys. So let me go get a boyfriend because that's what you're supposed to do. So I had me a little boyfriend, you know, we went out, bought stuff and all that type of stuff like that. But it just came a point, I think around, around 17, I was dating this girl and I was just like, yo, I can't lie. Like, he was like, I know it's beyond you being a tomboy. You like girls. And I was like, yeah, I do. And he was like, no, you still cool. Like be you, you know, do you. So I did have a little crush. I did try to like, you know, playoff had my weave and all of that type of stuff like that okay. and sw- you know switch different roles which in essence I guess people would consider that being bisexual but I at 17 I knew like okay I didn't want to placate anymore I didn't want to like be trying to dress like quote-unquote a girl and and leading boys on because of that's what you're supposed to do and then turn around undercover you know dating girls so like for me it was just like at that point I just said like let me just go this route this is, this is how I want to present myself as, you know, masculine and this is who I am. And from then on, like, I was like, that was it. Yeah. Um, when would you, when did you come out? When did I come out? Um, or let people in. I, ooh, I like that. Let people in. I would say, you know, throughout my high school years, people knew, I think it was just, it wasn't a said thing. It was just people knew. And, and it, you could always be kind of cliche because people always think like, when you play basketball, majority of the girls, are mm-hmm. that's not necessarily true. Right. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it is, but um, I think people already knew. But when it came down to like my mom and, and family, um, that was for me around 18, I was in, you know, first year in college. Um, like I said, I went to a Christian high school. And next thing you know, someone outed me. So I don't know. I still to this day, my mom won't tell me. I was like, you can hold a secret lady. Uh, so someone told her, hey, your daughter's, your daughter's gay. So she picked me up from one of those weekend trips. The car was dead silent. I knew something was up. She was playing the gospel music real hard in the oh. car. <laughs> I was like, what the hell? It's just in my spirit. I knew something was up. And then she was just like, you know, are you gay? You didn't tell me this and stuff like this stuff was going on at school and you trying to hide and be who you, you know, I didn't raise you like that. It was a whole big fiasco. So I didn't necessarily come out to her. I was outed. Now the, the, the fun fact, I don't even want to say fun fact, but I would say during the pandemic, maybe at the kind of like the start of the pandemic, I actually verbally came out to her. Mm. She knew she, all these years, she's known who I am and, and have grown to have an acceptance but I never owned that. I never said, you know, this is who I am. So I was like, I'm ma, I'm gay. And she was like, oh, I, I know that. What, 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 what are you telling me that for? And that was coming from me just doing my own healing work, <laughs> like, and just reclaiming my power of, no, someone out of me. I didn't get the opportunity to say, this is who I am. And I just needed more ownership of that. So that's just kind of, you know, officially telling her, um, my sister, I told when I was like around 14, 15, she's been just kind of been like my, my ride or die person. Like that was kind of one of the only people that I kind of shared. This is who I am. And she was like, all right, let's, let's make sure we hide this from mommy until the time is appropriate. 
uh, but she was always there for me. So that was probably like the first person that I probably kind of shared who this is who I am. Fully. Like, mm-hmm. this is, yeah. yeah. So, so the journey, the journey with your mom, um, I think a lot of people can relate to that. Like you have that first, uh, you know, somebody outs you, she kind of confronts you about it. You're like, all right, you know, and then the journey from that to you being able to own it and say like, Hey, this is who I am. Um, what, what was that? What was that journey for you? Like how, how long was this? Like what, what span of time was this? Jeez Louise. Uh, this was a long span of time. So like I said, 18, um, that's when I, you know, I was outed and my mom really didn't start coming around the corner, like really kind of coming to that acceptance, like 29 for me. Mm-hmm. It was like, I'm, I'm 34 now. So just a couple of years ago. Um, she knew, and I didn't, I didn't waver. Like I stayed in, you know, this is who I am, but our relationship started to tarnish because it became a point, like for many of us, like, yo, do I choose my mom or your parents or your family, or do I choose who I am? You know? So for me, it was, I was choosing who I am. We, uh, our closeness started to fall apart. Um, there would be moments where she'll be, okay, okay. I'm good with it. I accept it. But then she would have her own relapse and just start spewing, okay, this is what the Bible say. I didn't raise you like that. I didn't bring a lesbian in the world. Um, you know, you need to talk to the pastor, all those different things. So it really took from 29. And I had a good friend, well, actually a mentor. This is when I had um, my, my last relationship. And she was just like, okay, you got to get to a point where you got to accept you got, if you're with your girlfriend, you got to be who you are. If y'all sitting on the couch, you know, you be, be romantic, be with your girlfriend because the more you get comfortable, she has no choice but to accept it. So I was like, damn, you know, cause you know, sometimes you like, oh, that's my friend, friend sitting around on the other yeah. side of the couch and you sitting, but you, you know, something's going on. So I was like, no, I started telling my girlfriend, no, sit by me. And I started putting my hands around and stuff like that. When my mom walked into like the kitchen and saw like, she was just like, whoa, like to me, that's when it shifted for her. Like, this is not a phase. I'm going to have to accept this is who she is. And I'm not going to have to accept her, except her, but I'm going to accept her, her, her girlfriend too. So you know, we have conversations. Actually, we actually, um, we was riding up to um, Columbia, South Carolina yesterday and we had a conversation about it. We still, sp- you know, sporadically have a conversation. And I was like, I just want to let you know, as a parent, you never did anything wrong. Because we were just having a dialogue and she was just like, you know, you know, you have to understand it was hard for me. And I said, yeah, I understand that. And I give grace to that, but I want to let you know, there's nothing never happened to me. Like nobody molested me, um, you know, like, you did all that you could do putting me on all of these quote unquote girly events and things of that nature, but you didn't do anything wrong as a parent. There are just going to be some folks that come into this world that are queer. And she was like, I understand that. So we still, um, you know, she's come to a great place of acceptance. Um, but it was hard for her. You yeah. know, she, she, it was very, very challenging for her. She felt like she failed as a parent. Um, we would have arguments. It was very, it was challenging. It was to the point, like, I was like, all right, you know, I didn't think my mom would ever come around, but she did. The, did she ever talk about her own process or like things that she did herself to get comfortable? Because, yeah. because what she believed was rooted in spirituality. Of course, it's, relu- yeah. it's rooted in religion. It's the same thing that we, as the queer person know and hear, but within ourselves, we know, like, I know that I know who I am. I know who I feel like I am. And the God that I love is telling me that this is somehow wrong or the religion I serve is telling me this is somehow wrong. Um, 
for her, what was, did she ever talk about like the process that she went through to, to get comfortable with um, you or to get to a place of acceptance of you fully? Yeah. Yeah. And this, I, like I said, this conversation for us having that conversation in the car and then we're having a conversation now was so timely. Um, it was a process for her. Cause like I said, this was over what, 10 years, 10, 11 years that she just was not having it, <laughs> you know, like we'll just sporadically be okay one moment. And then the next moment is like, okay, I thought you was cool with it. Um, you know, she went through those rough moments, but I, and I did, and this is the gift of the pandemic because you get to have these intimate conversations and I really got to do like my own work and was really finding out what was going on, so what was going on with her. And I said, well, how did you come to learn to accept me? And she said, you know, I had to spend time, you know, with um, her pastor and her pastor was like, you know, this is your child. You know, you cannot turn your, you know, back on your child you know, you, you, this is, this is who your, who your child is. Um, so she said that helped her, I think getting that acceptance and validation, you know, some people are going to need that from a church or a pastor helped her say, you know what, I'm going to accept my child. Um, when we were in a conversation yesterday and I asked, I said, you know, what helped you come around? She was like, you know, talking to my aunts, you know, like, Hey, your child graduated college, got a degree, got a, got a good job, taking care of you. What more do you want? And I think sometimes that's a frustration for us as square folks. Like, shit, I'm doing everything. I'm there for you. Maybe other siblings and family members, but you have that one child that, and then you're going to look at it like, oh goodness, you're queer or trans. I can't. No, like I'm doing as. What up? It's your host, Ashley. And I'm interrupting this podcast to ask, are you following us? Have you downloaded the podcast? Are you subscribed to us on YouTube? If you're not already, go ahead and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Follow us on all platforms, Queerly Black. I'm going to let y'all get back to the show. Peace. Doing a lot. So um, she, you know, with my aunts, they kind of like helped her with that. My sisters, um, you know, one of my sisters, she has one of her best friends is queer and married. And she was like, hey, mommy, this is who she is. You, you got to come to acceptance. So I think kind of hearing it from different perspectives, um, you know, helped her. But I think one of the most critical, like the shifting that, that really shifted her paradigm uh, was when I actually came out to my father. And I'm sorry, I didn't mention, you know, kind of, I know we're just having a conversation here and I kind of cap on that earlier, but when I came out to my father and she was just like, no, you can't come out to him. He gonna have a heart attack. He's older, they're like, mm-hmm. you can't do that. And I'm like, shit, I don't send my daddy to, you know, dad right. you know, coming out to him. <laughs> right, right. Um, but when I did come out to my dad and my dad said, have a peace of mind, have a peace of heart. You're my baby. I will never turn my back on you. That for me was like bricks lifted off my chest. But I think that shifted her mind because it was kind of like, damn, I'm the odd one left out not accepting my child. You know, what I thought was going to happen, I thought how people were going to, you know, push away my child or not. Mm-hmm. So if it, it felt like she was the odd one out and it's like, let me get, let me, let me get on the train now. And our relationship has been deeper, more connected. I feel more comfortable. I don't even say like, oh, my friend, no, I said, and I don't even really say my partner. I say my wife or I'm not married yet, but I'm like, I start speaking like this is my wife or my girlfriend or whatever. Um, and she's, and she's, she she's a affir- she affirms me now she's 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 so supportive now so I think those things when people care so much sometimes parents do 
they care so much about what their family gonna say, friends, co-work, whatever that is, because they have this imagination of what their child is gonna be. And then when they start seeing other people accept their child for who they are, they're like, damn, I, I guess I don't wanna be the one <laughs> to be left out. So I think that kind of shifted her mind and helped her to who she is today. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's so, uh, such a, such a big thing. My, my wife has a very similar story just with her mom. They're really, really close. And that was like a point of kind of compartmentalization for them. But yeah. I think she, I think struggled with the same thing, like just, just being afraid of what other people would say. And then, you know, I got to a place where my wife was just like, mom, they all know, <laughs> they all know. I've talked to all of them about this. Yeah. And then as she kind of saw that, like people, didn't really care as much she would kind mm-hmm. of be like okay like I can kind of relax yeah you can yeah. because you do you do fear like how people are going to look at you um and my mom was quite the opposite she was kind of like she was your aunt's like y- you know my mom was like I mean you could be a lot of things I'm not worried about your sexuality like that's mm-hmm. but then it was the but then the the end of it is that's between you and God yeah yeah so so yeah. she's like I'm not gonna judge you I'm not gonna but whatever he thinks is what yeah. so that's her passive way of saying like okay look i ain't him mm, yeah. whatever it is is what it is i love mm-hmm. you and you got to deal with that later you know if if, if there's any if there if he got an issue with that you deal with it later but i'm not gonna be the one to make you yeah. feel no kind of way about it you know so at first it was kind of like uh, okay <laughs> Yeah. But all right, like yeah, I mean, yeah. you could you could have a lot of dispositions, and I I've learned that um my grandmother passed away last year, and I learned that my mom talked to my grandma a lot about me, um and like things that would go on with me. So I think like my sexuality and like just me being her firstborn and just all the challenges mm-hmm. of being a teen mom and raising you know three kids and uh, being married and all the things she would talk to my grandmother a lot about me. And I learned that later, like, you know, whenever stuff was going on with you, I would talk to your grandmother about you. Mm -hmm. And like, she would, you know, give me guidance. And it made a lot of sense. Just some of the questions my grandmother asked me over the years, when she told me that I was like, I started thinking about some of the stuff my grandmother would say unprompted to me. And I'm like, oh, it's because now I know that my mom was talking to her about me. But it was very interesting. Like she would send me, um, my grandmother, she, she would send me $25 every month when I was in college for oh, yeah. every year. Right. And, but she started sending me notes, like, uh, like articles of like Ellen or like Aww. stuff. And I'm like, it was super <laughs> weird. And I never asked her about it. I just kind of was like, you know, whatever I, I I'm, I'm assuming she knows. Cause I'm mm-hmm. presented like this for a long time. My grandma's not stupid. Um, but now I know that like my mom was like talking to her about me, just getting her own like reassurance and comfort about me. And so it's super crazy. Just mm-hmm. like when you get older and you learn like the struggles of your parents, you know, yeah. when they, that cape comes off of them because they're superheroes until yeah. there's a conflict with your life. And you, they're like, you're, you're in conflict with them. Um, and then you learn like all the things that they have to process and go through themselves to get yeah. to a place where they can like lead you. Yeah. Um, it's very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. That's a powerful piece. And I think sometimes we shortchange that, you know, like we know, Oh, it's our coming out story or as you called it, you know, calling in. Um, but understanding that before, like we have to understand like people have a perception or idea of what their child is going to be before, like as they're in the, in the womb, mm-hmm. you know, because of just culturally conditioning, imagination, 
And when that child, whenever that time period of someone comes out or you start speculating, it's the grief that you have to like, okay, what I thought my child was going to be or what I envision my child is going to be wedding and, you know, okay, they're male, but then they transition to be, a, I mean, mm-hmm. female, like all of these different things, they have to lay that, that, that grief down and they don't know necessarily sometimes how to communicate with you. And we just, you know, we see the anger, we see the frustration, but it's really the fear is really the judgment is really the pain and, and really displacing a lot of that energy. And it takes time. Yeah. You know, it took her, like I said, it took her time. And I'm sure that there's still moments where she still has grief and, and grace. And I try to reassure her, Hey, you didn't, you didn't do anything. It's all good. You know, this, yeah. is, this is the assignment that God has put for me, you, all of us. Yeah. Because I mean, you, you start out, you're their baby, you know, like yeah. you said, you know, they're, when you come, when you come along, they're, trying to you know lay that lay out lay a foundation for you that mm-hmm. is either better most times better than what they had mm-hmm. and you know set forth a path that says okay well these are all the things that uh you know I struggled with or that I went through I was poor I was this I was that yeah. I'm going to try to make sure my kid doesn't you know go without or whatever whatever those things are and then you know I don't think most parents factor in my child might be gay especially us, you know, you know, over 30, I'd say like, this wasn't something that our parents were like, oh, you know, this is like a real possibility, like that they're going to live into this because we know that people who are older than us are queer too. They have just made a conscious decision to do something different. Right. And so I think our generation millennials, you know, radical millennials Mm -hmm. (laughs) have decided to own all the things. What up? It's your host, Ashley, and I'm interrupting this podcast to ask, are you following us? Have you downloaded the podcast? Are you subscribed to us on YouTube? If you're not already, go ahead and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Follow us on all platforms, Queerly Black. I'm going to let y'all get back to the show. Peace. That's right. Yeah. And go through all the processes that are necessary to live 100% authentically. And yeah. with that becomes this, this extreme um, discord sometimes with our parents because mm-hmm. it's so out of line with what yeah. they wanted. You know, my mom's mom was on crack and drugs. Yeah. And, you know, there were so many things that she was like, I, I want to have two parents in the home because I didn't have it despite a dysfunctional marriage and all these things. Right. It's just like so many things. And this is, I think, more related to being black, you know, mm-hmm. us being mm-hmm you know, the culture that we are and having to be perfect and having to have it look a certain way. And then this queer thing comes along and it's like, wait a minute, we didn't, we, 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 you know what we, I'm saying? We, we, we didn't sign up for this. You know what I mean? <laughs> a, a child out of wedlock? All right. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, maybe multiple, multiple baby daddies or, you know, you drop out of college and you choose a different route. Okay. We can, you know, we can maneuver that, but this queer thing, whoa, yeah. <laughs> that's it's a like, whole nother situation. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. You know? So it's very interesting. I think, um, where was your, where did you find patience, like with your mom as she went through her own process? Cause you know, you were really close with her and still very close, but, um, where, what place did you have to go to, to kind of find that level of patience with her? And then also on the back of that, you can talk about how you formed your own relationship with God, because obviously yeah. going through high school and all that, you kind of have, you know, the, 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 this is not godly, but then you build a foundation with God on your own. So you can talk yeah. about kind of both of those things. Yeah, yeah. I'm loving this conversation. 
Um, like the patience piece at the beginning, no, I, I did not have any patience. And I think for most of us, like, you know, that teenage, that early 20, you're like, man, the world, I'm going to live me. I'm going to be me, you know? So patience wasn't a, a thing. It wasn't a really virtue that I had focused on, you know, in my early, um, you know, teens or like 20s as, as I was exploring who I was. It actually, patience really came um, as I would consider it like my spiritual awakening. So for me, that was like my, my, my late twenties. And I was just like, okay, I can remember actually being in my living room and I was just crying. Cause I was just going through a lot of stuff. I was going through depression, anxiety. I mean, I just had just all the things going on in my life and, you know, my sexuality, I felt like it was burdening me. Like 98%, you could look at me and say, okay, she gay, <laughs> you know, like masculine presenting, but internally people don't talk about that, especially even like I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of masculine folks that you present one way, but you are internally dying because you want to maybe have this relationship with God or whatever the case may be. And they, people may think like, oh, you good. And you're not really good. Like you, you're struggling. And I would just kind of be in this space and I would, and I was talking to God and I just broke down and I was like, you know, I can't, I, if you know my truth, I can't lie to anyone, you know? And with that whole part led me to kind of coming out to my dad and stuff like that and having patience. I think patience was like, this is the path that I'm going to go on. Like I had to tell my mom, like, hey, I'm going to be me. I can't live a life where I'm not going to be me. You know, that's my oath to God. Um, when you are ready to have that relationship, uh, when you are ready for us to be the best, you know, mother and daughter relationship that we can conceive together, I'm here. But until then, I'm going to move on and live with my life. So I think that was kind of like an inception of patience. You know, like I can't sit and wait to when you are going to be okay with it. I just had to live my life. And in a sense, I still had hope, you know, like drops of hope. And I also had to surrender. That's the other part too that makes mm -hmm. it hard for us mm -hmm. as queer folks, you know, because you want the validation and the acceptance from your parents more than we even want it from society. Mm -hmm. You want it, you, because that's, we're built that way. 100%. You know, that's why babies cry like that because they want the, they, mm -hmm. they need the nurturing. So we want the nurturing from our parents, but I had to let go and surrender that God, what does it look like if I never get that? You know? Yeah. Um, so I had to kind of let that piece go and then just kind of leave that dap of hope there and just say, you know, when, soften her heart. So I would be praying for her, not only praying for myself as I go through this journey, because it's uncertain, it's unknown, but also praying that God soften her heart, soften her mind, help her see who I am, aside of what I dress like, aside of what I, my demeanor comes off as, you know, help her to see that I'm still her baby girl. I'm still, the I'm a, I'm a good person inside. So I just had to leave that and surrender that with God because I'm like, I can't live my life waiting on that. Um, and, and through that, um, I just knew, I think like from the critical pieces, like when I came out to my dad and my mom was like, why the hell would you do that? <laughs> like she was so furious and upset. Um, and she just said some harsh things. I knew that I had a, I had anchored down into God because I didn't, I said, and I would go back to this quote that Jesus talks about when he was on the cross and he says, God, forgive them for they not know what they do. So even though she mm -hmm. was spewing what would be considered hate and, and, and frustration and fear to me, I had a sense of peace. I was like, I, I felt good. I was like, God, I'm not worried about that. You know, like this is who you have me to be. Um, and that right there lets me know that I, something greater than myself was holding me down. And that, that spawned the relationship with me and God, like, okay, you can do this. And as she started to see my relationship strengthened, you know, like I have spiritual gifts, I'm a dreamer, 
you know, like I, I pray hard. Her relationship with God started to flourish. And she, I think she, she, although she may have not kind of called it out, she knows that her spiritual life has been enriched because of her child. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like that came with acceptance, that came with patience, that came with hope. And I, I just knew like, God, you, 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 you just don't have me on earth for no reason. There's something deeper in, you know, my relationship with God just continue to deepen and, and continue to foster um, over time. Yeah, that's, man, that's so big. That's so big. And I know people get frustrated with having to be the bigger person, mm -hmm. you know, like it's, they're like, well, I'm the child. Why do I have to like be the bigger yeah. person? But it's like, we're, we're the ones that are looking for the acceptance. Mm -hmm. You know, if we weren't, then it'd be like, you could just be, you know, juvenile about it and be like, all right, whatever. Like, I'm not even, I ain't yeah. worried about you, but we want that authentic acceptance, yeah. you know, like, and with that comes patience, you know, it's just like with anything, like you want results, you got to put in essentially the work, right? It's not yeah. what everyone wants. It's what you want, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think, um, understanding that like if you're the one that wants the author because you can do you can do what people consider code switching or whatever or you can compartmentalize yeah. or act like it doesn't exist or you can do all these things and then you never have to deal with it you can have your parent and you can have you know your life over there but when you want that 360 and you want the full acceptance mm -hmm. being the bigger person is what comes along with it you know and yeah. being kind of the because for a lot of them this is the first time that they're seeing it this close yeah. It, for anyway right yeah. like you're their you're their you're their kid like there's no one other than their own parents that's closer to them you know yeah. and so this is the first time that they're seeing it develop because you're developing um unfold uh you figure it out for yourself um and go through all the things to get to a place of like I'm this is who I am you yeah. know, and then them going through their own reconciliation of figuring out who they are. So, you know, being the bigger person is just a part of that yeah. journey of authenticity, you know, yeah. and I know people struggle with that, but just kind of is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, it's, it's a, it's the a divine assignment. It, it yeah. helps parents call themselves into a deeper space of love. It's easy. People may say, I ain't got kids yet, but it's easy to say, okay, man, my kid came out healthy. I got, they get 10 toes. They heart is all good. You know, like, and they go this path as what they see society to do, but it's a whole nother game when your child comes out and it's not what you expected. You're like, you have no choice, but to say, if you in all hopes that you're going to some type of spiritual place, whatever that looks like is saying, God help me to love what I don't know. But mm -hmm. I'm, and as you mentioned, the familiarity you're not, you're not familiar with this and it's up in your face. How do you love that? That mm -hmm. is unconditional love. That's true. That's, love when yes. You don't have, when you cannot lean on your own human understanding, you have to go to a greater place to say, God, how, help me to love my child the way you would. You know, that's when the, the, the conversation and all that stuff starts. Yeah. So amazing. That was a great conversation. We could go on about this for a long time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, uh, I definitely want to talk about, um, so you're a queer spirituality coach. What does mm -hmm. that mean? Yeah. Um, and I, and I kind of started seeing it around. So I'm like, I don't know if necessarily I coined it or I just kind of put think words together. I'm sure there's other, you know, I know there's definitely other queer spirituality coaches and, and all of us are called to this work, but a queer spirituality coach is a person that is within the community, um, that is specifically coaching someone that they have a barrier or a challenge. They feel 
maybe disconnected from their spirituality at this point, and they're trying to help them um, have a, a stronger love, um, healthy relationship with God or whatever that spirituality looks like for them. So they're just coaching them um, in, in that aspect. Um, for some people that may be, oh, I'm, I'm working on spiritual awakening or whatever, specifically for me um, is working on the religious trauma. So when we as a community have been raised and say, you know, you're an abomination, you're going to hell. I, you know, I love the, love the, love the sinner, but hate the sin. When we hear all of those different things, we tend to internalize that. And then we end up not having a relationship with God. We're like, oh, well, if I'm going to be, if I'm going to go to hell, I'll go to hell in a handbasket so that I can be yay. You know, mm -hmm. I admit, I've said it, many of us have said it before, but is that, is that really what you want? Yeah. You know, you want something deeper. So let's kind of work together. How do we now, you know, lay that foundation when you have that relationship with God? And now you can have that support beyond people. And what that looks like is now you can thrive in other parts of your life. So it's just helping, helping folks within our community um, enrich their spiritual life. Yeah. And I mean, from, from your perspective, like how impactful has this been for, for people getting back to, you know, a place where they can, you know, get that, that spiritual grounding for themselves. Cause I know for me, I, it's even hard for me to imagine denying that God is real just because of, aside from being queer, you know, mm -hmm. just looking at your life, you're like, this is not, this is not human. This yeah. isn't, this isn't us. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. You, you, very very briefly you know being born to a teen mom and growing up in you know train new jersey and just make making it to where i am and just thinking about moments i'm like this don't this is not human this isn't us like this isn't my mom this isn't like you know yeah. somebody's praying for me first of all you know someone's praying for me and th there are points where it's just like this is just god period yeah. You know, yeah. they, those, you know, those people that come along or those conversations or those mentors or those random like things that you're like, how did that happen? Mm -hmm. Like, and it's just, it's just, it's so challenging to, to hear and to like, you know, know that people are, are, are really challenged by that. You know, it's just, it's hard to know because it's just like, I, I'm just like, I just know, like, yeah, you know, I just like it's ain't all no in me. Right. I just I ain't even got no words. I'm like, it's just God, man. I can't even yeah. put it no other way. There's no nothing fancy to say other than I know mm -hmm. it's God, you know. Yeah. Um, but talk about that, you know, uh, helping people kind of get that reach that revelation for themselves to know like you're good. Man, it's been it's been powerful. Uh it's not one day I wake up and be like, I'm just honored to be a vessel and to do the work. And, and the way I look at my life is God is, you see skin, you see me, Kay, but God is speaking through me. Even God is right now, <laughs> like speaking in this conversation. Yeah. But I think of it like, and, and I had a client text me this, you know, well, they sent me a little gift and, you know, I, I do the work, but it, you know, I'm not really expecting anything. And they like, hey, I am because you are. I, she called and said, hey, I, I was able to come out to my mom. We was working together for like you know, maybe about five or six months. And it's like, hey, I came out to my mom. I came out to my dad. I had a commencement speech at my, my graduate. I, I have this newfound confidence and newfound relationship with God. And all I could say is I received and I sit down and I'm like, God, like 
this is this is you, you know, and it makes me look at my life in hindsight of all the things that I've been through, you know, um, challenges that I've been through, questioning God, why am I like this to the point I get it. Thank you for that. It's a mm-hmm. sense of gratitude for me to have gone through the pain and to the struggle and to have moments of like questioning my life and going through depression and emotional anxiety, the shit that we go through when we're like, I don't know what to do. Um, thank you for that. Because mm-hmm. now we, we are, when we talk about church, talk about saving souls, that's saving a soul. Because people come out here, we go to the pride parades, we do all these different things, but people go back to their, their rooms and they're, they're, they're falling apart because they want something more that the world can't give them, mm-hmm. you know? So to help someone step-by-step process, and, and I'm not trying to, you know, my program is spiritually inclusive. So whatever, if you're a Christian, Muslim, Jehovah, whatever your background is, if you've had the commonality of receiving a non-loving message about God, you are welcome and you're wanting to restore that. But a part of that, we, uh, you know, I help folks, you know, lead them to like, what is the voice of God? I'm not trying to show you to another book or, you know, this, this, mm-hmm. no, you we're sitting in meditation. We're sitting with ourselves. You're posing questions to yourself. What up? It's your host, Ashley. And I'm interrupting this podcast to ask, are you following us? Have you downloaded the podcast? Are you subscribed to us on YouTube? If you're not already, go ahead and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Follow us on all platforms, Queerly Black. I'm going to let y'all get back to the show. Peace. And you're like, man, you know, I was in my car and I heard this song. You think that you just heard that song Mm -mm. that talked about your freedom. That was that was God talking Mm -hmm. to you for that very moment. You went to down, you know, like I've been places where, um, you know, when I'm working and I'm traveling, I see like a mural that said God loves all. God took me from Charlotte, North Carolina to Lincoln, Nebraska, just to tell me that. So back to your point, what you're saying, like sometimes we just think, oh, coincidence. No. This is, is the synchronicities of it. It's God speaking to you. So I've like, you know, I've worked with a trans man and just like, you know, okay, I, I've been able to step into who I am. And now he's doing greater work. He's now going out there helping other trans men reconcile their spirituality. So when we talk about, okay, the work of what Jesus is doing, Buddha, whatever that looks like for us, they were not saying that the, the door is not necessarily me is helping pointing people to the kingdom within helping them understand that God is within. So I think I don't, when I talk about purpose, I truly believe we all have a purpose. We're here for a reason. And as, as a queer folks, like if we're struggling with us, you were struggling with our identity. I, I don't know if I should transition or if it's God really approved of that, or, you know, I, I don't know whether to pick a man or woman or whatever, all these different things guess what? You're not in line. You're not in alignment with your purpose. You're not doing the good work that God has called you to do. You're not being a creator. You're not podcasting. You're not doing the things that God wants you to do. So until you do that, you know, so that's what it's about is to help people be who God created them to be. I appreciate that. I appreciate this conversation a whole lot. Um, I got two more questions for you. Um, First one is if you had a theme song for your life, what would it be? It just dropped in me, but this was actually my favorite song. I sing it karaoke all the time. I'm Tevin Campbell, Can We Talk? You know, well, that's I that I'll do a little different spin on it, but, you know, Can We Talk to me was a confidence song, but Can We Talk is what we, what the world needs right now. You know, like us here, can we talk about this? You know, the conversation and helping people understand themselves and 
the work that I do in, in helping folks. Can we talk about this? Can we can we can we take the stuff out the closet? You know, can you come out the closet? Can you can we lay it, bear it on the altar and say, can we talk about this? So I would just say, Tevin Campbell, can we talk? I love it. I love that song. Um, that's a, just a classic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you had advice for people going through their own queer journey, what would it be? Um, I just go back to purpose, man. I think that is the, that's the core thing that helps us get through any challenge in our life, whether it is a queer journey, illness, this pandemic, all, all type of different things in life. That's going to be the, the things I would say, you know, get with yourself and say, what is my purpose? What is my existence? Why am I here? Once you know that, then you're like, I got to live into that. And that's why, because so many people are filled with suicidal ideation, depression, all type of different things. And they're questioning your life and you're like, okay, what do I do? When you get a hold of that purpose thing, that's going to give you the strength to say, you know what? God is going to do some miraculous things with me because I'm queer, because I'm trans, because I'm black, queer, and trans, whatever that looks like for us. God can't move. God can't do. God can't impact the world if they don't have you as a vessel to do it. So um, I I would just tell people, anchor down, connect to your purpose, your why, why you get up in the morning. That'll help you get get you through the hardest times of your life. Absolutely. No, I, I love that. Um, thank you so much for coming through, man. Tell the people where they can find you. (laughs) Anytime, anytime. It's been a joy. Um, everyone can find me queer on purpose. I'm mostly on Instagram, but queer on purpose. If you want to email me, um, info at queeronpurpose.com. Um, and we'll connect. Awesome. You can find me. Dope, man. Thank you so much for coming through. This was a great conversation. I truly enjoyed it. Um, y'all make sure y'all follow Queerly Black on Instagram, subscribe to the YouTube channel, download the podcast, all podcast platforms. And y'all already know, man, it's another episode of the Queerly Black Show. I'm your host, Ashley. I'll catch y'all on the next one.